Mackerel with a shot. Rifled in! He had the hair. He had the swagger. He had the knack of scoring some stonking goals for Saints in the 80s and 90s. Saints fans will have their own favourite Glenn Cockerell goal. I know I do. But what was Glenn's? Well, we'll ask him about that later. But first, a reminder. I spoke to Glenn over the phone. In my studio. Also known as my Renault Clio. So at times, the sound is a little bit analogue. And there were times when we had one or two connection problems. Hello? Oh, hi, Glenn. It's Mark Sanderson. Is now hello? the time... Glenn, hi, sorry. Uh, hello, hello. Glenn, sorry, can you hear me okay? Glenn was 26 when Saints signed him from Sheffield United in 1985. It was his first crack at Division 1. So was he nervous? The, the biggest nerves I had was when I first turned up into training. So I'm just seeing, I mean, there was internationals all over the place. There was Schiltz in the dressing room, uh, there was Alan Curtis, there was Joe Jordan, there was David Armstrong, there was Mark Wright. I think Ivan Golak was still there, there was Jimmy Case. You know, there were some, there were some big names. Once so I got the first game out of the way and the first social drink, if you know what I mean, uh, I, was, I was fine. And the first social drink came quite quickly because uh, when you first get transferred, you either get six months in a house. I don't know how it works now, but you got either six months wherever you wanted to go. If you found a house, the club would pay for it or you'd win a hotel. And I, I was in, um, in a hotel to start with when I first went in, around Northlands Road, um, where the old cricket ground was. Yes. Um, and because we got beat seven, we had to be in the next morning. Glenn's referring there to his debut for Saints, a 7-0 defeat at Luton. We rarely did well on their plastic pitch. So Jimmy Case said to me, I'm having a quick drink. So I went and had a quick drink. And six hours later, <laughs> we came in. And that was it. Once I'd had the social bit with the lads, I was fine. But the, the nurse was first day at training, you know, meeting the lads. After my first five stroke six years were well, probably the best football of my career. I was signed as a midfield player. First game I played up front with Morano because I was told by Chris that his midfield were too old. I was set to replace Jim, to be honest, because there was other lads coming through like Andy Townsend in midfield. I was brought in to replace Jim, but then all of a sudden we got paired up together in midfield. Maybe that game, I think. I can't remember whether I played up front or in midfield. And we just hit it off, me and Jim. We hit it off on the pitch and we hit it off, off the pitch. And not, I'm not um, saying it was just down to me because he was a brilliant player. But I think Chris had it in his mind um, that he was getting on a bit, um, that he was going to go, him and David Armstrong, which is what I was told when I was signed. And then all of a sudden, maybe the injury to Dave yes. brought somebody else in the team and forced me and Jim to play together. And we did. We just hit it off and... And this is Jim's words, he said, for three, four seasons, there weren't many better pairs. There were probably better individuals, well, more for me than Jim, but there weren't many better pairs than me and Jim. We're, we, we did really well together. Who were your heroes? I was well, my dad, I was only, Yeah, well, yeah, no, I was only young. I was only six, seven, when he broke his leg and had to pack in. So I can still remember one or two games that I saw him play, but, but after that, and I was watching Grimsby, there was a lad called Dave Worthington, Frank's brother, he was playing at right back and he was a bit, his hair was always long, 
completely different player. He was a tough, tough fullback. Of my first sort of hero, if you know what I mean. And still Grimsby in possession now. Worthington, their captain. But then as I got a bit older and I saw how players were, the people I wanted to be like was, as I got older and nearer the top league, it was Brian Robson, obviously, because of how he played. And that was a great experience when I played against someone like him. You know, I think I was a probably, without putting myself down too much, I think I was probably a poor man's Brian Robson, if you know what I mean. Cockrell, Horn, look for Rodney Wallace again, but Duxbury doing very well. And Robson, mistake, can he drop it? Cockrell, yes! Cockrell gets Southampton the lead. And amazingly, it was England's captain, Brian Robson, that set off all the problems for Manchester United. When your name's mentioned, it's it's for Saints fans. It's for a certain type of goal, isn't it? People think about long-range goals. I mean, yeah. when I talk to people, they say, oh, yeah, I, I tried to do that goal in the garden, I broke the next one open <laughs> window. Or... Stuart Vade told me he tried to recreate Glenn's goal against Luton. In the back garden, he broke next door's window. It sort of your surname sort of became like what you shout if you're going to strike a long range shot. Cockrell! Was it something you always practiced as a kid? Were you always good at that? I always wanted to do what my dad did. And my dad, when I was born, was playing for Grimsby Town. So when I was getting five, six, seven, there was a school field over the back wall. So I just used to jump over there in, whenever the school wasn't there and just take a ball out and just practice with both feet. And you know? I just used to smack it against the wall and get it back and I was out there for hours on my own and then obviously go to the park so maybe it just maybe it's one of the natural things or maybe it was because I worked on it as a as a young kid so yeah I suppose it just come in handy but um, I missed a few as well by the way <laughs> What's your favourite Saints goal you scored? It's either there's two and I could easily say my first one for because it's always nice to get your first one but it, it, it wasn't the most glamorous goal of the header at QPR. It was either one at Luton, me volley in the cup. You're going for Glenn Cockrell. Tremendous goal by Glenn Cockrell, 1-1. What a fabulous goal. Just saying that Seeley hadn't really been tested. Well, there was nothing he could do about that. to get away at Tottenham when I was my first game back uh, after yes. breaking the jaw. Out by Stewart, only as far as Cockrell, and that is a tremendous goal. There was one against Leeds as well that just come up recently on YouTube. Yes, I saw that and outside the boot. Right? Yeah, yeah. Well, my yeah. favourite is the, is the one, you're playing better at the Dell. Yeah, and yeah. you just casually sort of middle. walk into the 18-yard box and just hit it on the volley. And then about yeah. 10 minutes later, Jimmy Case puts one in the top corner. I remember what Russell Osman said to me. He said, he said Glenn, after Jim scored, he went, Glenn, yours was goal of the season until now. <laughs> <laughs> and back in. Here's Jimmy Case. Oh, screamer! A lovely strike from Southampton's veteran captain. But then the cup goal, the goal at Brighton was a completely different one for me. It was a dribble and uh, left foot finish. Um, yes. So that, that was a nice goal, you know, but a completely different one for me. So I think I went, it was more like his goal. Oh, that no, one. Can Southampton break here? This is Townsend. 
but he could have gone right or left. He's picked out Cockrell. Oh, and he's danced all the way through and planted it into Brighton's net. Well, this is the clash that wasn't seen by the match officials at Highbury, but was clearly recorded on camera. Davis, wearing number eight, is seen to strike Cockrell. The Southampton player spent Saturday night in hospital undergoing surgery on his broken jaw, and he'll be out of action for at least a month. Davis, usually a mild-mannered player, is almost certain to be charged with bringing the game into disrepute, and he could also face civil charges of assault. If he's found guilty, it could also wreck his England career that only last week looked so promising. Davis clashes with Glenn Cockrell. The Saints man gets a broken jaw. Davis is later banned for nine games. What, what was that game at Highbury like? Was it a spiky game leading up to that? It was only a spiky game because I was going to say because of what happened, but it wasn't really because no one saw it. It wasn't, it wasn't shown until after the game. And I've never said this to anybody, but I have found out that the England... There was three lads that had been on England duty in the midweek. There was David Rowcastle, uh, God rest his soul, Michael Thomas and Paul Davis. So before the game, Jim said to me, Casey said to me, let's just get into them. He said, I know what it's like when, when players come back from international duty. He said, I think they're a bit better than what they are. And I thought, yeah, that'll do me. So there'd been no, there'd been nothing before that with me and Paul Davis or me and anybody that I can remember. You know, players went into tackles properly in them days. Um, but I have heard since, after after he did it, um, and it was a few years after, it was Steve Williams that told me, he said, um, you know what all that was about, don't you? Because I became good mates with Steve, because he and Bramford tried to bring him back to the club later on, um, when he took over. And I got matey with him, and he said, oh, you know what that was all about? And I went, no. He said, you smashed into him. He said, I was playing. He said, uh, a few years before that, and uh, you caught his knee, and you know, in a tackle, and his knee ligament has tweaked a bit. And he said after the game, I'm going to sort him out one day for that. And he went, well, he didn't get booked. This is Steve telling me the story. He said it was a fair tackle. He said he'd better get used to that because it was one of Paul's first games. And uh, that was the first thing I ever heard of it. And I thought, oh, OK, then, because he'd accused me of being racist and the next day in the paper. That's why he did it, apparently. Yep. And then the other thing I heard later on was that Bobby Robson was actually at the game and he told my staff, he told Chris Nickel and Dennis Rose that he actually saw what had happened. And uh, I only realised that later because as soon as I complained, because I carried on, once Dennis brought me around with the smelling yeah. salts, yeah. Um, I carried on playing because I didn't know I'd done anything and I didn't know what had happened. So and I wasn't in pain, I could run about, so I, I played on. And, uh, and after the game, I had a pint in the in the players' lounge at Ivory and then got on the coach and, I, and it was always the norm to have fish and chips and um, I couldn't bite into my fish and chips and that's when I thought I had a problem so I went to the front of the coach and they went yeah leave it to us and I, sh I should have switched on them and thinking blimey they've sorted that out I was straight into the Cayley beat in Southampton for an operation that night and it was years and years later that I found out that Bobby Robson had actually told them that day what that he'd seen it he'd seen the incident and it half annoyed me for a few years because I'm thinking, if that had been the other way around and, I, and I'd have hit an Arsenal-England player, it would have probably said something on the day to everybody. So yeah. I, I, dis, I disliked Sir Bobby for a while because he didn't, he didn't come out with it. Do you, think that's something, do you think that's something to do, Glenn, with when you're playing for someone like Southampton? 
who have probably yeah, punched above their yeah. weight over yeah. the last four years. There's that. Don't always we get the that, team, that, that team or that squad were flying, and and it was like we shouldn't we shouldn't be in this position, and I think it did go against us. Southampton's good run may well continue here. Three wins in three league games for Southampton. And their performance at Highbury really reflecting that confidence. And Rodney Wallace is round Lukic and it's 2-0. 24 minutes gone. You know, I, I, I think I'd have got kicked out of the game if I'd have done it to an Arsenal England player or a Southampton player would have done it to a to an Arsenal England player and that's the thing that annoyed me for a few years to be honest why, why he didn't speak up and was, that lingering, was that lingering a bit in, in the future Arsenal games because I don't think you scored against well Arsenal it wasn't I didn't find out until after I packed in you see yeah but the, but the incident lingered yeah because he blamed me in the papers for um, racist abuse and I've never done stuff like that in my life so you know I knew, I knew he was lying. I just tried to kick him more than what I would normally. And so did Jim. Because of that. Because of that article. Not not because of the punch. Because of the article more than the punch. Yeah, that's, that's understandable. And, you know, coward, cowards do it. You know, on that side, he was a coward. But sometimes there's a difference between a coward and a liar. You know, you don't say someone's racially abused you if they haven't. No, I totally, I totally understand that, Glenn. But you, you, you came back, and you're back. You know, came back with a right bang, yeah. First game back at White Hart Lane. And another very good strike by Glenn Cockrell. Lovely blend at Saints with sort of more experienced players like John Burridge and Jimmy Case and all those young lads. Yeah, yeah. The Wallace yeah. brothers. Well, Schultz was, was there first. Yeah, Schultz was there first. Yeah, and I, and I thought when I was there, I'm ten years older than. Uh, Shearer and Tiz and all the lads that were coming through so it was nice for me getting there you know 10 years older than them a lot um, but seeing them come through you know that was, that was nice and it's nice when I still see them now and they give me a little mention you know, helping them sort of develop people like Dodsey and, and Shearer and Tiz because and, there's a few of them that play in the ex-Saints team so it's nice to be part was it was it obvious? Still there, Mark? Oh, oh yeah, yeah. yeah. That's all right. There's another call coming for us. Oh okay. I'm sorry. I thought you cut me off then. <laughs> no, not at all. Um, was it no, obvious so they were all going to be great not. players? People like Shearer and Tizzy. Was it obvious to It's easy for us. To, it's easy for us to say that now, isn't it? Um, because they've ended up being great players. But for some reason, you knew they had something different. Tiz had something different to Shearer. They both ended up being brilliant players. Um, and Rod Wallace, don't forget, he was, uh, you know, he's, he's not too far behind them two. Um, I think it's different for him because he moved on to a, a, a different club and then moved again. Um, but you know, they're all they're, they all had something about them. In fact, the the youth team when I got there at 26 and they were just starting out as footballers at 16 years old. Uh, I think I think we signed every one of that youth team that Dave Merrington had. I'm just saying, sure. Unbelievable. It was never known. It was like three or four that got signed. But they all got two-year deals. And I'm pretty sure I'm not wrong. I'm sure they all ended up getting deals, you know, to, for a two-year pro contract. I apologise for any lads that didn't make it, if anyone reads this, but um, I'm pretty sure a full 11 lads, 12 lads, got an apprenticeship 
but back then you're still you're still a young man, but you're having to keep up to speed with all these younger guys. I mean, are they were they cocky, sure of themselves? Was there any sort of um, putting them in their place? Maybe Jimmy Case having to put in a big tackle on one of them to put them down. No, I don't think that happened as much. You know, unless they needed certainly, you know, keeping quiet. It didn't really happen too much at, at Southampton. It was more the older lads having a sort of a row with each other. I remember a couple of times um, with Joe Jordan and George Lawrence in training, Danny Wallace, Dave Armstrong. There's always them characters, but it was just normal training ground little rows. But yeah. no, I, don't, I think the youth, I think Dave Merrington did such a good job with them lads because you're not just trying to teach them how to play football, you're teaching them how to become grown-up men. And, uh, and they did such a good job um, with all of them. And they've all turned out to be good lads as well, you know. In 1991, Saints manager Chris Nichol was sacked after the club finished 14th in the old first division. And I did feel sorry for Chris. I don't know why Chris was let... Well, I do know. He, he wasn't the personality that maybe Laurie McManamy was. Big boots you know. to fill. Oh, certainly were, but he, he didn't do too bad, you know. Didn't do too bad. I think his first four years were so good that he finished 12th, and that's a poor season for, our, for the standards that he'd set in the first four years. Five years, maybe. We didn't there finish was much outside the finals, top wasn't there? Yeah. And we did have an exciting team. Jim was the only midfielder that that didn't attack, but he, he still well, nicked him with you know, his five or six goals, whatever. There was me bombing on with all the flying machines up front that we had. And I think it was only Jim that probably sat back, but he knew I could get back in there with him. But it was, it was such an exciting team. It was great, it was great to play. It really was, really was. And in terms of hard men, again, Ian Bramford, when Jimmy Case had gone, he mm. brought in Terry Herlock. Terry, yeah, I felt a bit sorry for Terry. Terry's a good player and a lovely, lovely lad. But when you're replacing a hero of the Saints fans, which Jim was, um, and then things don't turn out great, you become a bit of a fall guy, I guess. But you know, Terry obviously was a good player for the, you know, because of the clubs he, he played for, like Glasgow Rangers. You know, yeah. and he held his own in the first division with Millwall, got them promoted. He was part of the side that got them promoted. So you know, he wasn't, he was no mean player, Terry. But he was a good he, player, I and mean, I can't imagine fans was. giving any stick to his face. Well, they wouldn't have done, would they? <laughs> um, so it was a bit unfair because of he was seen to replace Jim, you know, and he was a he was a, a hero of theirs. And it didn't quite work out for him, you know. How did they compare oh, oh, in terms of um, just being on the pitch toughness. there? Their toughness, yeah, both yeah. had a presence about them. But to be fair, you know, a lot of, as you, you know, you mentioned one earlier, Russell, you know, he, he, he could look after himself. Russell, well, you don't, you don't play for England as many times as he did and play in the first division as long as he did if you can't look after yourself, especially in them days. Oh, I'd love to have seen Russell play now, blimey. He'd have 300 England caps. He'd fit straight into that back three, wouldn't he? It'd be perfect. Yeah, no, because he could, he could He's play and strike. He's better than all three of them. What about Terry Herlock? Who does he think was the hardest? And uh, Jimmy, um, the Liverpool man. What was it? The death as a fucking post. <laughs> Jimmy, uh, Case. Oh, Jimmy Case. Jimmy Case. Mullet. Yeah, yeah. Fucking ridiculous. He was tough as old boots. What, death? He's true, true hearing aids, yeah. Did he? Yeah, yeah, for fuck's sake. He's kicking the fuck out of you. You're going to turn it in, Jim. He still can't hear you. <laughs> he still kept kicking that. So obviously Ian Bradford came in and mm-hmm. you know, he's been much maligned. Saints fans are on his back. A lot of yeah, players yeah, like a style yeah. of play. But obviously you're in a difficult position because you're skipper. 
<laughs> so that must have been difficult for you, being right in the middle of it all. Um, it was only on my relationship with the fans, I think. The players were all behind him because he, okay, the results didn't go for him, but he's, he's very much a player's man. And I think Tiz has admitted to that. You know, Tiz and him never really had a problem once they sat down and had a chat. Um, Brownie didn't like the way Tiz was and uh, wondered how he was going to fit into his system. I think that, that made it worse. And also, uh, with Jim, the first, the first big bombshell, forget Tiz, I think the first bombshell was Bramford letting um, Jimmy Case go. But I've been told that he was uh, advised to let him go by an ex-manager. Would he have been threatened by him because he was a senior player? I think the, I think the ex-manager told him, Ian Bramford regretted doing that he he said I should have got to know Jim but he took the word of an ex-manager to get rid of him and I felt sorry for him on that say because he never he's only I think he's only ever told me Branny yeah he said I was told to get rid of him and I said well this is years later and I said well why don't you let that know and he said well what's the point he said it's done now and I'm thinking well you took a lot of stick for that he did. And the, man, and the manager that told you to get rid of him still gets thought of very highly. <laughs> okay. Well, we'll leave it at that. Without, mentioning, that yeah, without mentioning too <laughs> many names. Bill, you got the most out of your career. Cause by the time you left Saints, what, you were 33, 34? I was 34, yeah, 34. Um, I loved it. I was, I was gutted because of how it ended, if you know what I mean. I mean, to be fair to the club, they offered me another year... Um, and I could see it was changing a lot because I think after Ian Bramford, all of a sudden the main managers changed so quickly from a club that went Ted Bates, Lauren Men and Me, Chris Nickel in I don't know many years, 40 years was it, three managers yeah, in yeah. whatever years it was. I might be wrong on, on the exact number. A long time. And then, yeah, it was. And, then, uh, and as I left, I, I don't think Ian Bramford was left long. But to be fair, you know, I'm... I don't regret anything. I, I saw an opportunity. I just wanted to play, Mark, and, uh, and I wasn't going to play. You know, there's young lads coming through, and I understood that. Um, and I think the fans, I think some of the fans turned on me maybe because I was Ian Bramford's captain more than me either not being a good player or not performing. Did know? that hurt? Um, what? What? That, that, that what, maybe what, fans were turning on you? Uh, no, because it happens, doesn't it? It happened early on in my career at, at Swindon when I went there for good money in 19, whatever it was, 79. As a 20-year-old, I went for 120-odd grand, I think. And it was, I was the next best thing. Jesus, the manager got the sack at the following season. And I couldn't, I don't know what happened to me. I couldn't get I couldn't get in the team. I couldn't kick a ball straight. And I was the, like the up-and-coming star. And um, I was trying my best to try and get my game back. So the fans, so it happened to me a long, long time ago, so I was ready for it. Um, and I saw an opportunity to move, to be fair to the club, they offered me a, another year for a testimonial, but I just wanted to play. You know, I was one of them lads that always wanted to play, hence probably me appearances over the years, I don't know what they are. Um, and Lake Orient came in and made me a good offer um, financially. My family didn't have to move, because I travelled, you know, two or three days a week. And, um, and I got... I, I, I'm on Mark that I just wanted to enjoy my football. Um, yeah. Maybe I maybe I did jump to Orient maybe a, a bit quick. So I didn't wait to see what anything else came in. Um, and ironically, I'd only been at Orient six weeks, and the manager said to me, 
we've had Derby County on the phone. They'll give us our money back, what we gave you, if you want to, if you want to go there. I thought, oh, Jesus, do I want to, you know, 35 years old, do I want to be going up north? And maybe I could have done that. But then I had such a great time, you know, I'm, the fans at Orient loved me because I had a, a, a good spell there for two and a half years. So, you know, I enjoyed my football. I met some lovely lads there. Um, we weren't successful as a team, but I met such good people on and off the pitch. So I, I don't regret anything, Mark. I was so lucky. I ended up playing till I was 39 years old, and it, which is a great feeling, you know, what's, what's, which is all I wanted to do. How, how did you manage to keep fit at 39 in professional football? I mean, were you, what, was the, what was your regime um, then? Fosters and curry. <laughs> <laughs> you just loved the game, right? You just loved the game. Thanks to Glenn Cockrell for taking a moment to speak to me. And thanks for listening too. Goodbye.